Hey everybody, Jason Ellis here, co-host of High and Dry the Podcast. This is not an episode of High and Dry the Podcast. This is something completely different to help promote my new book, Still Awesome. This is audio recordings from the first book where I tell Tully about my life and then Tully writes it down in the book. It makes it far more interesting and more understandable. Enjoy. Welcome to a special limited run podcast series. Is it? Yes. Jason and I have collaborated on a new autobiography called Still Awesome, The Trials and Tribulations of an Egotistical Maniac. Available for pre-sale now at jasonellisbook.com. I remember that. Still Awesome is the follow-up to the New York Times bestseller, I'm Awesome, one man's triumphant quest to become the sweetest dude ever. I was there for that, too. To get you up to speed on where Jason's story picks up in Still Awesome, we present an exclusive look back at the never-before-heard interviews that went into making I'm Awesome. Yeah. Enjoy, and don't forget to pre-order your copy of Still Awesome at jasonellisbook.com. It's debatable, but you can get the book. I have so much stuff, and it really is coming out so incredibly <laughs> great. I'm trying to figure out the the best place to pick up. Tell me which of these makes the most sense f- to you in your present state of mind. Um, one would be just to talk through the evolution of the radio show. Mm-hmm. One would be to talk through the evolution of you discovering and getting into fighting. Mm-hmm. And I actually got a, a good deal of that from the UFC interview, so much of that was covered like in depth. Okay. And another thing that I need to do with you at some point is just the best you can to try to describe the order of events in your life. I'm still having a lot of trouble figuring out where stuff fits chronologically. Yeah, you might want to talk to Andrea about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So do you want to talk about the radio show? Okay. Uh, well, the radio show is... I did have... I did say before I was in radio at all that I did fancy myself to retire as a radio guy. For some reason, I always had it in my head that I would... I could always talk and that that would be the job when my body no longer could uh, athletically get me paid. And then um, out of nowhere, Tony Hawk called me and said, hey, man, I've got a radio show on this fucking serious radio shit that I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. I need you to, I want you to be my co-host, like the funny guy. Jesse Fritch is the music guy. I'm Tony Hawk and you're the... Uh, the comedian guy and I was like wow cool thanks for even thinking that I'm the funny guy and then uh, I remember you know getting in the studio and you know this is still just just didn't really think anything of it but I remember as soon as I started talking I felt like uh, I've always said this I felt like I had I, I had a gift as soon as that day as soon as that show started I was like I feel like I'm way better at this uh, than everybody in this room which didn't really mean much, but at the but at the time it still was like nobody else is better than me in here, and I immediately became as soon as I figured out that I had a talent here. I've been waiting my whole life to find something that I was naturally good at. I've never done anything where I was like, man, I was just born to do this. It's never been the case, and I found like I, a, a person told me a long time ago, a, a professional photographer, uh, Dan Stewart, who was a crazy individual a maniac person who like base jumped and did weird shit like that. He told me, uh, I was hurt one day. He shot like a, an ad for me and he was like, he's like, you don't think you were actually born to do this, do you? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like skateboarding. You don't think you were actually born to be a skateboarder? And I was like, yeah, I do. He's like, you think you fucking, f- you've stumbled on the one thing that you were born to do. And I'm like, yeah. 
And he's like, think about that, really. What are the odds of that? He's like, I guarantee you this is not what you were born to do. And there's a million things out there that you would be naturally better at. And I was just like, why are you so fucking annoying? And then for some reason, that one, you know, I mean, I was 17 when he said that, has always sort of been in the back of my head every now and then I'll run that, that sentence in my head and be like, and, and, uh, and I feel like radio was, was so far in my life, that thing where as soon as I started, I was like, man, if I put myself like, like, like did what I did in skateboarding in radio, I could be Tony Hawk of radio. And, and the other thing with it was, uh, I, I had <clears throat> just started listening to Stern in the mornings when I lived in Vista it was a weird chain of events. I never really listened to radio because I'm a skateboarder. I don't have a, I don't own a fucking car, and if I did, it didn't have a fucking radio. Uh, I I remember getting a, a a shower radio and putting it in the fucking shower in my house so that I could listen to Stern while I had a shower because every now and then he would say something that would make me laugh, and I it triggered something in my head that he was he was helping me start my day, and I was like, what a special gift that is. For him to be able to do that for people, because I, you know, it's funny. I was like, "Fuck!" It actually kind of made my day a little bit better. I feel a little bit fucking happier about my shit. And then I thought, uh, you know, the movie Private Parts and stuff. And I was like, "Man, radio is fucking cool." But that's the only radio dude I've ever known. Till I worked at Sirius, and I still don't know who anybody is. And I've never heard like what's the famous radio. Bruce, the, the dude with the tailbone or whatever. Cousin Brucey? No, I've never heard him, but I've never heard the the Bruce. No. Who's the dude that did Oxycontins and isn't doing Oxycontins anymore? Rush Limbaugh? Yeah. These people who are supposed to be the number one people in radio, I, I never heard them ever. I've heard Howard Stern, I've heard Opie and Anthony, and I've heard Jay Thomas, and I've heard Ron and Fez. These are the only people I've ever heard in radio. Apparently, Howard Stern's the best dude in radio, and Opie and Anthony's the second best dude in radio. And as soon as I heard these people, I was like, I'm better than these people. I can, be, I can beat these people. These people are already obtainable to me. And, and that uh, lit a fire under my ass, too, just to know that there was a chance to be, finally be the best at something. You know, it was very, very exciting for me. So I immediately took it. I, I walked in with confidence. Every time I was on the Tony Hawk show, I was very cocky as I am the fastest, funniest person in this room. And, of course, when Will offered me a job, I think I already had thought of plans of having my own show, but when Will offered me a job, I saw that as an opportunity for, for the Jason Ellis show, even though at the time that was probably nowhere near the case. But I remember thinking, taking the job because I'm going to be a talk show host. I'm not taking the job so that I can fucking talk about uh, Nickelback for the rest of my life. And then what do you remember of, like, the early, like, doing the show? <laughs> well, I remember uh, coming to L.A. and Will trying to, you know, not running the boards, Will just standing here and me being over there and talking and and uh, really having little understanding of how radio works, just sort of gathering from me being able to talk through little 15-second blurts of whatever, Sensing that Will was impressed by the fact that I could just say 15 seconds worth of shit over and over again. So I think that was like flattering for me. That made me more motivated to do it. And and I always took it as... It reminded me of my first job working in a supermarket being a trolley boy. 
I just remember thinking, this is the uh, this is the bad part. You know, that's the way it's the way it goes. It's the bad, embarrassing part where you don't want to be here. You don't want him to tell you to do that. You don't want to say that. Uh, I don't want to be sitting down. I don't want to be a non-skateboarder. I don't want to be in LA. I don't want to fucking grow up. But this is the, this is, you know what I mean? Like you've got to, if you work hard at it, this will all, this will all work itself out. Like just that hoping that it could, I could do it again in skateboarding the same way. Because, you know, it wasn't that glamorous at the start of skateboarding either. But, but I did start to find, the only thing that was hard was dealing with Will and dealing with radio people. It was, it, had, it has always been a struggle for me, for people that come across to me as the man telling me what to do. It's always been a weird, I think it's a skateboard thing or whatever, but it's from a very early very early in my, in the radio game, there's been this monster that has always irked me and actually sort of made me, you know, because it aggravates me and it brings out the side of me that I'm not really fond of. And I feel that I'm 50% that person when I work on radio. I mean, I, I'm, I'm always uh, potentially stinky. You know what I mean? I'm always potentially like, fucking idiots. You know? You, stinky. Stinky is the best name that I can come up with right now. I think it's pretty sweet, though. I would, I would never accuse you of... Stinky little baby. Being stinky. <laughs> um, okay, and, like, what are what are some, just some, some... I don't think I'm going to spend a whole hell of a lot of time on it, but what are some, you know, highlights or just memorable moments of, like, those nighttime shows? Uh, well, you know, I remember talking to myself and then finding a place in my mind where I was making... It's all there and in the garage? It's up there? Um, yeah, I had to park it sideways, so the BMW... But it's all there? Yeah, it's all there. Everything's good. Love your style, dude. Love that, dude. Um, yeah, I remember... finding a creative thing that worked, like a little pocket of... started talking about Slipknot cereal and cheeseburgers and putting pizzas in cheeseburgers... And then the it, that little spiraling off and finding a I felt really comfortable. You know what I mean? Like, I was like talking. Maybe it was like a blanket. Made me feel warm. You know what I mean? Like yeah, but but and it's coming out, and I'm like yeah, that's funny. It's, when you think about it, that's actually kind of funny. You know what I mean? Like me, the other me listening to the other one got being in, entertained by it, and I was like fuck. And then I was just a pig in in mud for those times. I remember just. Being and then uh, you know every, and then like going to a Tony Hawk demo and someone's like, man, I heard you on the sh- radio and these are these are fucking fifteen second breaks on a show that I don't even you know I just nobody's listening you know what I mean like there was no phone thing and for and somebody saying man talking about that che- that pizza and the cheeseburger that's fucking crazy man you're off your you're off your face or whatever and I was like you heard that and you knew it was me and then thinking that that was cool too but the those making those to taking calls and then finding a way finding because i think <clears throat> at the very start one of my the test thing i did for will to test being having a job the story that i told was my father's wake where the burnout king existed and i told the story about the burnout king and it was already um 
for that story for me to tell that story and not cry and to find a funny way to tell that story was I uh, maybe I it was like a, I'd I'd found you know I mean I was very impressed by myself by being able to do that and I feel like that I feel like the death of my father and my brother was a f- immediate connection to the fans I feel like you know I mean it's the life man people's fucking family members die and if they have and you hear some dude being honest about it on the radio I feel like I've got you for the rest of my life because you're like this guy is saying something that I it's hard for for the longest time for me to talk about it. I would start fucking crying so I can't say the fucking words. So I could never get it out. But I would always found like radio, I would just it would just come out and, and the emotions would be in there, but not enough to stop telling the story at a fucking high level of entertainment too. Like r- almost a little bit disgusted by myself that I can talk about my father's death with, and, and, and sell it. I'm selling it. I'm boxing it up and I'm selling you my father's death. It was I mean, I almost hated myself for being able to, to explain it, but I feel like that was another thing that helped me too. Like when my brother died, do you want to take time off? I remember saying, no, I just want to go to work. And I came in here and Will was saying, you don't need to work. And I was like, no, I think it'd be best if I just did. And I it was like a ther- like therapy. I like was, I would like give myself therapy on the radio, even if it's just as someone that, you know, like a therapist sometimes that you just tell the story. They don't even fucking give you any advice. You just tell some horrific story and you got it off your chest. I would just do that every day. So I think it really helped. You are listening to selections from the behind the scenes making of interviews for I'm Awesome, one man's triumphant quest to become the sweetest dude ever. It almost worked. Pre-order the follow-up, still awesome, at jasonellisbook.com. And then when fans connected, then be- then there became this other new thing that became I became loyal to my fans people enough people called and said that they were moved by my story or i don't do heroin anymore or i named my fucking chinchilla after you like i, I remember those days where i where all of a sudden i was like people really care and i'm really helping people and i've never been in that position before but i think deep down i'm a nice guy i've always wanted to be a nice guy and here was this just all these chances it was all I think I would have been in radio, but I don't think I would have been as passionate if it wasn't for the fans responding to my pain. You know what I mean? The funny thing was all I ever really wanted, but I, f- I feel like that other part with all the, the death and stuff made me... Because there's so many times where I would have quit. You know, I just don't take that shit off the man. I don't do... And I, it's, a, it's something that I've worked on because it's not a fucking good trait. If you're a fucking cocksucker enough, I'm like, you know what, dude? I'll fucking punch you in the face or I'll, I'll, we'll never talk again because I ain't got time for your fucking ass. But there was this, it's, you know what I mean? Like now, this contract, this whole thing. What about the fans? What, what are they going to do? If I do a podcast or I'm on internet radio, I just shit on all those people. So the loyal thing has made me <coughs> um, stress, stressful, uh, you know, sleep... Uh, stomach also you know what I mean like pooing blood guy because <laughs> I care about the show I worry about the show I worry about if it's going to be if I'm going to have it again today you know like what about if it just goes flat what about if I just do four hours of nothing that's funny and it's just gone skateboarding kind of happened that way maybe it's going to happen here you know and the Opie and Anthony's about 
you know, you wait till, you know, till the radio station breaks you. You know, I mean, this whole thing about, you know, they just, they just break you down and, until you just give up. And I feel that, you know, I, mean, I feel these people, they, they, they you know, I mean, the way things are going, it would be just so much easier to be like, Pfft. you know what, Josh, find a job, you know, Michael, write a fucking book. I'm just going to say, hey, and go home because, you know, because if that's what you're going to pay me, well, that's what I'm going to get. It's bullshit. <clears throat> but it is the stress of my life, but it also is the thing that makes me feel whole. You know, besides my family, it's a, it's it's the void. It's a void that I love skateboarding. It's this massive hole that that is filled. I walk with confidence because of this show, and I don't. I mean, it's a weird materialistic side of it as well. But it's a. I need it all. I need to be successful to feel whole. I I am a loser in my mind if I don't if I if I don't win if I don't beat everybody and prove to everybody that the dude with dyslexia who didn't pay attention in school and is is successful you mean my 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 auntie sent me an email last night saying that uh, how it was weird because she sounded like my grandfather because my grandfather he said you're, I'm really proud of you you're the most successful Alice there's ever been and Trina said that in the email this morning, and I was reading it, and the bathroom's broken in the in the in the bottom, so it was in the dark, and I was taking a piss in the dark, and I read it, and it started to make me cry, just for a second, because she's an Alice, and she said she's proud of me, and that she's related to Dad, and that's enough, because I, I that's all I wanted to do is just make him proud. But um, they all look at it the same way. I think all Alice's look at it the same way, as in I've got money. You know, I think that that's how I, I don't want, I could be wrong, but I feel like Trina was saying that because I live in Beverly Hills. So as far as she can tell, I'm fucking on fire. But she said she thought it was really cool that America, you've made America love you the way you do. Because I think she must know something from Facebook or something. I don't know. So how about like just just moments from the, the, the nighttime show? What are what are, you know, like assuming people are reading this that don't, you know, OK, don't, don't really uh, know it. OK, the moments. A belladonna. I mean, belladonna being in here and putting a lifesaver in her vagina and me really at this point, yeah, sure, I've done some blow and I've seen some hookers, but I've never seen a porn star come in and put something in her vagina and, and like be rough with it and it was bleeding at one point. And I remember just going, you know, and she would, and she would look at me like, you know, there's, 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 what's the problem? You know what I mean? And I, I was like, oh, you're, I'm not, you know what I mean? My, I'm not worthy to be in this room with your hardcore ass. Like you're fucking yourself. And then another time coming in, she was on her knees with her face on the ground in there, putting a tilto in her butt. And me and Sam Tripley was sitting here and I was sitting there and I was like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here. Like, how is that? You know? And I'm like, man, what a job, you know? Cause it was the porn shit was exciting. It's at, at first to have people perform, uh, porn in the studio so those things and and uh yeah i just felt cool i felt like there was a uh a lot of anxiety when guests came in but when i did good and i could get into someone's mind and let them and let them let their hair down and say stuff that they didn't usually want to like i could tell when someone would say it to shock the listener or someone would say it because I made them feel comfortable and they just said it. And after they see it, I, after they say it, I could see whether they're like, oh, 
I probably shouldn't have said that, but I got you to say it before you caught it. And I like I would be excited about that. Control, like, you know, just having, like, girls do stuff or having guys say stuff in here. I would be amped on myself all that, that night. Like, fuck yeah, the, uh, the corn guy, singer of corn. Right. Fully fucking not into me when he walked in. You know what I mean? And then halfway through him going, fuck, this is fucking fun. I fucking really like this guy. The singer of corn really likes me because I'm funny and amusing. Like, and off I chart home old jolly and feeling successful those ones the the first guests that came in that were impressed by absolutely nobody and somehow being i could tell they're like like i'm here that what there's some dude okay yeah i'll talk to him for a second i could tell they're like this dude's just in a room by himself and someone's he was in there and he's been pushed in here to 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 say something and for me to fight you know get him to be to think it's cool it meant a lot. I always remember that with, with Everlast, that he gave me so much <laughs> attitude. I was like, hey, dude, we're doing this thing. It's World's Greatest Wednesday, and I forgot to tell you. Here's the topic. And yeah. Here's yeah, dude, I've been on the radio before. Yeah. No. Like, All right, dude, have fun. Everlast is a perfect example because I remember Everlast, the comment that made Everlast think, okay, I want to stay here, and I want to know this guy. He got my number after. He gave me an email. I fucking loved Everlast. And all of a sudden, Everlast's name is in my phone, and it's texting me saying, I'm listening to the show right now. You're killing it. And I'm like, Do you, oh. remember, do you remember what the comment was? Uh, it was about, um, uh, I made a, a comment about having wrinkles in your face. Uh, you're, you're, you're something about Bridget Nielsen. Like, enough wrinkles. Like, Something about your crap. I remember saying it like her, her, her wrinkles in the side of her, her crow's feet are so big you could fuck them. I think it was something like that. And he was just like, but it, it I remember it took us, I was already onto something else and he'd run that through his head a couple of times and then fucking started pissing himself and was like, what the fuck is this dude on? And, and then he started being happy because he's very similar to me. That guy's fucking. Real happy, super cool dude to be around, and then he's just, when he walks in the room, you know that that person's there. Oh, it's, it's the fucking, I'm really bummed out guy. Right. Who was, I remember I wasn't even here for Jonathan Davis. I was in, was in Ice or Air in San Francisco. I actually uh, listened to that on a, n- a number I had of questions. really great things that happened. I was, I had, I had love to take credit for things. A number of truly great things that happened, I wasn't even in the state. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down questions for him. Uh-huh. It was the first time I'd ever written questions for a guest. Yeah, that's funny. Rapid fire. I invented the rapid fire that day. Mm-hmm. Who were some of the other early ones? I mean, I'll go through all the I remember hating uh, the Johnny Rotten interview because right. that was my uh, – there was this thing where, you know, Sirius were pushing this – it was hard for me to be to, – you know, I mean, radio wants you to, uh, to say, hey, man, I've, got to, I've watched all your films, even if you haven't. Like I feel like that's sort of expected of a of a of a of a DJ, and I was sort of like Will was like, hey, you know, Johnny Run's gonna be on the show, you know what I mean? And I was like, okay, and I had like some notes of like when he was gonna be on tour, and, and you know, not not knowing, not believing in myself enough to to just be like, dude, I don't need to do it your way. There's only I can only do it this way, and and trying to be in that, and then of course saying, you know, well, who's in the band now? Because all I did know was that they fucking died. He's the only one. I didn't know that the other, you know, I mean that that would be an insult to not know the other new members of Sex Pistols. Let alone, I didn't even know Sex Pistols were still playing. No, I know. So 
You know, I mean, he was already being a dick. And the other thing was, is the old tough guy was standing behind him, and I remember yeah. him sizing me up. And I remember thinking, "You're fucking fifty, dude. Like, you mean like?" You, you might have fucking bottled a couple of people back in the day, but you don't have no weapons right now. Like, f- fuck you and your tough ass. I'll beat you and your fucking old man famous guy. Like, I remember thinking, fuck you for your dirty looks, because he was just greasing me the whole time. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, fucking interview's over. I'm like, interview's over because I don't know the other members of Sex Pistols, the new members of Sex Pistols. And, and I felt really bad after the interview, because for a second there I thought... You know, he's like, you know, you don't, you know, if you're gonna be in the in the game, at least try to fucking be good at your job. I think he said something like that, and I remember thinking, fuck, you know, I don't know anything about you or your band or your tour. Or I don't know that stuff, and 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 thinking about it a long time afterwards, like, fuck, you know, I mean, I'll beat myself up about good things and bad things for days, but I remember thinking, you know what, dude. From now on, when you come in, because I remember thinking, I'm going to learn a couple of things, so I don't want to be completely disrespectful, but I'm also going to be asking you on behalf of everybody who doesn't know, believe it or not, you fucking egotistical cunt, it, what, you know I mean, what is your band playing? What, you know, what is the bass player's name? Does he fuck people without, you know, I just, it, I learned a lot from that interview. I, I made a lot of adjustments to talk to people after that interview, where I would sort of, and I remember stating to Will, like, from now on, you know, who are you? What do you do? Oh, it's a big hit, is it? Good. You know, like if if Bam Margera comes into the Howard Stern show and and Howard calls him Bam Margera, does Stern, does 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 he walk out? No. Stern doesn't watch your fucking show, dude. Get over yourself. So that was my angle from then on. Uh, where do you think you started to get a sense that it was like really the radio show was going somewhere? Well, there used to be a time there where I would say certain things and I would really feel it and I would be in here going like fucking doing this in the studio going, people listen, everybody listen, like trying to like somehow attract like attract a beam of of listeners, like come with me thing and if i said then that would sort of charge me up to say some shit where i would be impressed on my theories i believe maybe six pounds soft was around the time where i started to think that i was a genius because i'd figured out a way to talk about how i weighed my fucking penis and balls stupid joke what is the story with that yeah weighing my penis and when what's the story with that no i just made it up it never happened no oh okay yeah You've said it enough. I was like, I. No, I said it because it was funny. Right. And then I just rolled with the story and exaggerated it and thought, yeah, well, you know, if you did weigh it, you know, you, you know what I mean? Because I would always try to, I remember always wanting to put towel, how many towels I could hold on my erection. That would be, because uh, I, went, I went out with some scrubber in Sandringham who had a boyfriend and we, and though I had sex with her every now and then at the house because they were like crazy ecstasy dealers and it wasn't that bad of a thing to do. And she was. Uh, put towels on my erection. He's like, he can hold up. He can just keep up holding. Keep holding towels. And I was like, yeah, we should. We should have a towel contest. Who can hold the most towels? Fucking Gary. So I think it came from that. Uh huh. Um. But I always thought I had a big penis and balls. Congratulations. Thank you. 
We hope you are enjoying this look back at the making of the New York Times bestseller, I'm Awesome. And don't forget, there is plenty more exciting stuff up our sleeves for the follow-up. Still awesome. Available for pre-order now at jasonellisbook.com. We won't stop. We're like that hip-hop band. I think the snake bite was a big one for me. Okay. The anaconda. I think, uh, and once again, another angle where I saw this when the snake came in the day before and what it did to me. Uh, it was I was very interested in how something could do that to me because I was really fucking scared, like really scared, and I could not control my body. I could not turn around and face the snake. I fucking hid in that corner, and I was like, "That's weird that someone could make me do that." And then I thought, "What if the fucking what if the biggest snake fucking bit me?" And then I was like, "You're going back into you're testing yourself again. You're you're being dangerous again, like that. You know what I mean that." Uh, you know, the skateboard, when Tony, I mean, there came a time in skateboarding where I realized that I can't beat Tony Hawk. And in this tour, I still favored myself as, as somebody who had a chance to be good. And I was like, what if I just start jumping off stuff? You know, and that was that whole bomb, bomb drop era thing that, that helped my career. It like gave me another couple of years of skateboarding and being, uh, up with everybody else. So it was that whole, here we go. I'm going to test myself again. And it just energized my, it energized me. And I thought it was another, to me, I would love to know about a guy who did that on the radio. Some guy fucking scared of snakes and he just made a fucking eight foot anaconda bite him. I want to hear that radio. I want to hear that. And I'm not fucking get out of the car until it's, until it bites him. So I thought I'd stumbled onto, to another thing that I would use forever. And now what would you say about, like, the Ellis Mania fights and events and stuff to people who don't know anything about them? <laughs> well, uh, Ellis Mania is, uh, I really feel like it's a lot to do with you and me. I mean, it's us shooting the shit. What if? Imagine this. Imagine that. To the point where we talk about it enough where I'm like, you know, same as MMA. I talked about it enough to the point where I was like, we've got to get it done. Got to do it. Got to get out there and have a fight. We've got to get out there and punch each other. And then... The fans, and I just remember at one point at Alice Mania, everybody laughing out loud at the same time, maybe even the person that was being electrocuted and being punched at the same time, and uh, I don't want it to end. I don't want this ever to end. We should do these all the time, just because of the pure, unadulterated fun that I, would, that I got from it. I never think I'd laugh. You know, I mean, we're all fucking laughing our asses off, and and uh, and I and I felt like I was the leader of the of the fun pack. Definitely don't want to give that up. Um, <clears throat> that might actually be the thing that I'm most known for in the end. The way right. it's going, I know, absolutely. Uh, and it's exciting to think that. I mean, I just feel like all these. I these... think like a weekend with like Minimoto and yeah. Ellis Mania boxing and fucking yeah. like skateboard demos and bands and f- I'm mm-hmm. like, all the it's it a just really seems good like idea. The, the the you know it's like it well it's very similar to like what they say in <clears throat> Rich Guys. The hardest thing is making your first million. Oh fuck yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like that. It's like the first million has been made. Yeah. You know, in terms. Well, of yeah, the, but yeah, it looks like it. But I don't mean in terms of money, but I mean in terms of. It's at the Hard Rock. The Hard Rock's happy to have it because they know a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand people are going to show up. Like, you want to do a fight? Well, no, actually, I know that sounds crazy, but I've done this a few times. I know how it works. Here's why that will and won't work. It's like it's a it's a thing. 
Yeah. It's already a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, we're mean, getting it down. We were it's talking like, to Kevin yesterday about it. Yeah. I was like, this one's going to be the easiest one we've ever done. Yeah. Because the last one was the hardest one I've ever done. Because it was the last one that I did myself mm-hmm. and took on everything. It's just, I mean, now I know better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should have caught from the first one when I fought Andy Bell why I was sick two days before the fight. Like, I didn't catch it until the next time when I was getting sick right before the next one. I'm like, wait a minute. That's a pattern there. What could that be? You know what I mean? That was the introduction to stress. Like right. Stress is actually making me sick. Right. Um, and what, if anything, do we say about, like, the bands, like, Taint Stick and... Uh, well, the, ba- the bands was... The band is a, is a big thing, too, because the band is something where... You know what I mean? When I was growing up, I wanted to be a rock and roll star. I think a lot of people do, but you know I mean? does. Yeah, but you know what I mean? I'd got as far as on stage singing. That was a little further than most of my other friends. So I really felt like I had it. And I always, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not a very good singer, but I'm a good front guy. You know, without, being, without being in a band, like I've probably been on stage all up now 20 times. I'm pretty fucking good and naturally relaxed for 20 times. It's all right. I, but I can't sing. But it's you know, I didn't I didn't do it. But I, so I always felt like there was a chance of that, and, and and to have it, and I've always I've always dreamed of it and fantasized about it as I'm sure you, you have too, and and to to have it happen in a way where I I'm not going to get carried away with it. It still doesn't mean anything to me. I'm I'm actually not. You know, I mean God's gift to women or anything. I no matter how many people think it's awesome. So it's even less stressful. It's kind of a relaxing, especially now. The last couple of times we've paid our dues now. Now it's sort of like I'm having fun. For the rest of it, like for me being insecure and as I am and, and to be the singer and the head guy, there's just always a very stressful occasion for me because I'm like, great, you guys can play and I'm the head man who's singing out of key. I don't fucking want to be here. So it was always... I wasn't looking forward to it, but now I sort of have like I'm like, hey, you know, fucking load, I fucking drop out about fucking six or seven times, but the rest of it I'm holding a little bit most of the time, and I'm confident. I'm having fun. I'm looking at you guys, look at the fans. And I'm like, that, you know, I would love to do this for the rest of my life. But it was originally just to make fun of bands, probably because of my envy towards the people that did make it as musicians. Damn you, you good-looking bastards. Now it is the most fun thing just because of that. It's like everybody <coughs> wants to do it and the way that we got it is just like there's no drawback. It's like Yeah. It's like it's like these old rich guys that do like rock and roll fantasy camp and just you know what I mean? Like yeah. they hang out all week and fucking fucking Dave Navarro teaches them how to play yeah. smoke on the water and then they get up on the end with a fucking bandana <laughs> around their head. You, <laughs> you <know>? can do that? <laughs> yeah, you can totally do that. You know, it's like that. It's just No, it's, I'm actually in a band where I can honestly say that I don't care. No, I could. I can. I can. No, truly and I don't. I say, don't believe any other band can say that. No, I know. <laughs> like, we don't fucking care. No, I don't care. I really yeah. don't. It's fun, and it's. I, I've always approached every. I tell. I've told many people that I'm like. I always look at. I always look at every show as this could be the last one because because yeah. one, one of these days it will be true. Yep. I always play. I always play it like it's going to be the last <laughs> one because one day it will be true. <laughs> That is it for this week's look back at the making of the New York Times bestselling I'm Awesome. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to order the follow-up, Still Awesome, at jasonellisbook.com. Thank you. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoyed that. Plenty more where that came from. Don't leave us, because there's plenty more high and dry podcasts to come. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.